Andy, how are you doing? Not bad, Phil. You? Good morning. Yeah, I'm good. I'm here. Good morning. Uh, it's good to good to see you. Good to speak to you. Um, yeah. I'm going to tell people about it. I don't even care. So um, when me and Andy were speaking about doing this, um, <laughs> I was asked by somebody else and they said, you know, I think you should talk to this guy. He's called Andy. He works with us. So we had a phone conversation. We was on the phone for about 10 minutes and we're chatting away and I was like, oh, Andy, I'll give you a call back in a, in a few minutes. I've just got to do this. And then I ring back and about another 10 minutes into the conversation, I was like, oh my gosh. I know you are now and all the time Andy, me and Andy have met quite a lot of times and because no one said it's Andy who you've met and it was just <laughs> there's a guy at work called Andy I just didn't put two and two together and you said something and as soon as I heard your voice say this particular thing I can't remember what it was I was like oh wow what an idiot I've been chatting for 20 minutes to somebody and I've known who it is the whole time I can I can just say your honesty is just impeccable because if it was me, I'd have just I'd have just kept that on the wraps and just gone with it and tried to work around it. So uh, yeah, yeah, I think out loud too much and it gets me into trouble sometimes. But yeah, um, and genuinely, like one of one of the nicest guys I've met. You know, we we've met a few times at different um, events uh, yeah. through the v, uh, VRU, which we'll yeah. touch on. Um, you've been seconded over there, so you you've been a PCSO for what? Just it's coming up to thirteen years now, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it'll be thirteen years in August. Um, August this year, minus kind of six months stint at the VIU. Um, it's um, kind of the best job I've done in a lot of respects. Um, you've learned a lot about people, and then the work with VIU was just another strand about learning about people in a different way and meeting such uh, nice people such as yourself. Okay. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Um, can, I, can I ask, so when you started as a PCSO, how different is the role between the 13 years? So has it changed? Has the sort of the responsibility that you've got and the attitude towards you, has any of that changed? I think um, well, I started with sort of maybe 24, 25. Um, obviously working for the police, it was a massive organisation. It was before all the cuts and all the recession stuff the first time around. Um, so it kind of blew my mind the resources and what was available and stuff like that and the team I worked on and then over time that kind of dwindled through people you know moving on or lack of recruitment it just dwindled and dwindled and um, I always worked in the same sort of community and um, responsibilities changed because I guess you had to take more on I think some people said you had to work uh, you had to do more with less um, which is obviously a little bit daunting but I, I went from a team of kind of working on a team of let's say 20 at one go down to a team of maybe six or seven and how that was spread out on the shifts there was a period of time when it was just um, myself on, on one period of time on a late shift so you kind of have to you know you can't go around thinking you kind of um, you know he-man or trying to lock people up you don't have that as a PC so your role is more to um, build neighborhood links um, get intelligence, but also just deal with kind of low-level crime. Low-level crime, I don't mean that to sound bad, but like kind of, you know, thefts, um, shed breaking, someone's on the stat and I've stolen our car, uh, broken into. So it was that kind of thing. But then with the cuts, the volume of that that you had to deal with was kind of more and more, and it came to a little bit of a juggling between dealing with all those calls and then having to do that community link side of you 
point of view, and I like that community side. So, you know, going to primary schools, speaking to um, a couple of people in tower blocks of flats, because I, I found that um, the older people in tower blocks of flats, whilst a lot of people kind of perceive them as kind of they're just, you know, old days, they have windows and they have plenty of time on their hands and they tend to log quite a lot of activity, what was going around and stuff like that. So, you know, they all quite liked. Um, kind of having someone to at least give that information to so they felt like they were doing something and um yeah um, one thing as i unfortunately i had the experience of having to kind of be present um throughout a colleague's um funeral as well which most people don't what really have that in in you know their working experience it's kind of you know passed away suddenly but funeral was on shift and you know we all were outside manning the gates of a church and um you know it, it threw it down with rain and he would have loved that because he liked everyone to be getting wet if he was dry somewhere uh but you know it's kind of that, that that's quite a unique experience but we all um all of us that were around then they've all moved on and whatever but we always have that in common and we always kind of look at that because he was quite well liked because the guy that passed away yeah. um from my myself i worked quite hard on trying to be a, 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 um, a people person for such trying to kind of fit in. Um, obviously. I, think, I think when it started, there was some confusion because I, I worked for a company called Metro um, and we run the security in the bus stations across West Yorkshire. And we was assigned eight PCSOs. So it'll have been around two years before you started when, yeah. the first, when PCSOs first became a thing. So we was assigned them, but there was a lot of confusion about who they were what they could do um and it was sort of there was this real awkward teething process where sort of people who we were sort of working against i guess is the best way to do it we'd we'd bring pcsos in and they would view them as police but then the more they got to know that the pcsos couldn't arrest back then it was more about sort of um trying to de-escalate a situation show presence um, and it was just, it was hectic. It was really hectic. But some of yeah. the some of the best people I've worked with in the last few years have been PCSOs. There's a there's a couple that do so much brilliant community work. And anytime we're doing anything, we always bring PCSOs on board because of that sort of local knowledge, the relationships they have with either people or organisations, and just yeah. their their sort of mindset of we're not here to arrest people and tell them where they're going wrong or what have you it's more about that sort of that personal relationship yeah i think a lot of the time i've met people i've always tried to just be the same person i am with you um and just just all right you know um kind of adult if people don't sort of give me any shit i don't kind of give them any shit if they're doing what they're doing they're doing what they're doing but obviously you have to do your role and i always prefer to just rather than kind of running the muck and causing issues and having to call for backup. You know, you'd have to do that a few times, but I tended to just kind of get snapshots of pictures of puzzles and stuff like that. And then I was fed that in and if they were going to get bracelets put on them, it'd be someone else. And that that's my way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, I've never, I've always taken my hat off to anyone that wants to be a PC and wants to do that and go in and arrest people and that kind of stuff. But in the time I've, I've, I've done all that, I've been on a few things there they've gone a little bit wrong and 
I don't know. I've always been of the mindset you're going to get slotted one day, and I just don't want. <laughs> I just don't want that. It's not my. You know, I'm a people person. Um, obviously, not everybody in life you meet is going to like you. I'm fully aware of that. That's that's just the world, isn't it? Um, and I don't know. Um, yeah, it was all right. I, I think the area I worked was sound. It was busy enough for me. And yeah, you do get people that you know take the piss and shout whatever and. I don't know, call you whatever they want to call you. Um, normally, never on their own and normally never straight up to your face. It's always some distance away. But I always kind of thought, well, fair enough. I'm sure I'll see you again at some point and then we'll, we'll have a chat later on. So that's been my way of doing it. But I, I do think it's people and you're not always there in the context of locking them up. Sometimes people disclose things about, you know, they've been, um, they've been abused and you've got to look at that or mental health isn't brilliant you've got to look at that and i don't think from my point of view i have not always seen that from um someone turning up in a big van thinking shit i'm gonna get locked up it's just a different way you know so yeah yeah one thing that makes me cross is when you see um like the police will post like police are active on twitter and i love that and sometimes they're sarcastic and i love that even more you know, like to show some sort of sense of humor for such yeah. a serious job, I think it's brilliant and it makes them human. You know, we see police as these forces rather than as people. Um, and we always like on being a being a biker, you get I've got a lot of friends who have motorbikes on and, yeah. you know, you still see a speed camera van. It's like, shouldn't you be out catching rapists and burglars? And I'm just like, yeah, but there's a team for that. You know, yeah. these are these are highway police. This is this is their job. <laughs> this is what they're yeah. supposed to do. There's different departments that cover different things. So there is probably a team out there that are catching rapists and burglars as as you're typing that message. But yeah, not, not these guys. I think it's um, you can only deal with what's put in front of you, and by the same token, um, it's kind of personal responsibility for people. And you know, I don't go out of my way to cause grief for anybody. I just go. People ring and I'll go and deal with the calls. If there's no calls for me to deal with, I will go and have community day and bob into my place and see what's going on and keep myself relevant. But if something happens en route to that, you know, you're kind of duty bound to do what you need to do and, and, and deal with that. And that's that's kind of the end of it. I know people don't like that, but yeah. Um, have you ever had to deal with anything while you're not at work? Um, yeah, uh, unfortunately. Um, I say unfortunately because it was, was really unfortunate. Um, there was an incident in the bus station a few years um, ago. I don't know how long now. Um, and someone got stabbed. And I was coming back from the track. I used to do a little bit of running with a colleague um, on my days off. And uh, basically, I just saw this um, person step from a shop front that was closed and drop a knife. And then I saw her pull the blood, blood drop on the floor, like from her arms, little droplet. And um, I remember I was walking back and I was one, there, was a, there was a, I call him an old dear, there was an older person, old lady walking behind me with shopping bags. And I said, did you just see that? I said, yeah, yeah. Pick up this like sort of carving up. I said, do us a favor, just cross over the road. And um, I just got on the phone, just got on the phone and started ringing. And then they made their way up around to the front of the market. And I saw um, a couple of PCSOs, so I hung up and just saw a mouth. That person's got a knife and we kind of, um, challenged them and um you know they got arrested eventually and it sounds like the person they stabbed wasn't who they thought they were they had a bit of a um bit of an episode and acted about it but i think the thing that i always remember distinctly was 
because my shift pattern's seven days on, three off, seven days on, four off. I was on my last day off before I went back for seven days, and uh, I'm allowed to swear on this. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> I, um, my initial thought was, fuck's sake, I'm not having it work here. That was my initial thought, yeah. and that was put in my statement, because um, the person that took the statement from me said, it, you know, was, they wanted realism. Uh, how long ago it was, Milgarth was still there. You know, so it's, it's a while ago now, to be fair. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, I just, I did my bit. You didn't really, didn't really think, but I just thought, I don't want her to harm anybody. Well, I didn't, by her, I mean, I don't want the old dear behind me to get harmed. I don't want the person with the knife to harm anybody. I don't want anything to come and happen to me. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it's just not what you want, but you have to do something. So yeah, that was that was one thing. I generally don't go looking for trouble when I'm not at work, because um, I, I just, that's just not me. Yeah. I like spending time with my wife and, and that's me pretty much and my mates. Yeah. So what's what's the sort of downsides to it? Have you have you had any sort of negative experiences? Um yeah, I kind of um I suppose like I got used to being on my own quite a lot because of the where the team dynamics were. So I I used to work on my own quite a lot. I used to think you're quite I'm quite all right at maybe speaking to people and find out what's going on and whatnot. But there's been times where because I've um because I'm I'm kind of non-white, it's quite easy for people to say, "Oh, look, you know." Um, someone shouted once, "Oh, look, there goes a bit of bacon. It's a little bit burnt." You know, oh, wow. on the street. I mean, in a in a in a kind of a barbecue in the garden, and that, you know, I kind of sort of walked on. And I kind of thought, well, I don't know who said it. There's maybe four or five of them. I didn't see who said it. What do you do? You kind of have to weigh things up, and I just kind of thought. You know, I'm not going to turn around and give them satisfaction. I'm just going to crack on and just carry on on my radio as I was. Um, and then I've been, I've had a little bit of, um, I suppose, sort of a, abuse from um, a youngster at one point. And this person was quite young. And um, for whatever reason, he wasn't in school. I didn't really, I didn't really do anything. I just knew where he lived. So I just got told to jump in the van and, you know, show us where he was. And he said to me, um, open the door, slave. I says, you what? He said, in the old days, in the old days, um, monkey, you would have been my slave, now open the door. And, you know, at the age I was, maybe 35, um, got out, you know, um, kind of a couple of my colleagues, they were all right to be fair, they asked me if I was all right, and I just said, yeah, yeah, and I just cracked on walking, but I was fuming, I was absolutely fuming. Um, felt like kind of, felt like quitting. Because he was the age I'd been, he was the age that I'd been doing the job for, which was kind of around eleven years at the time. I just thought, you know, he's, he don't know much about the slave trade or whatever, and he's clearly heard that, um, and he's thrown it at me. But it wasn't like it was the fact that I got so angry. Yeah. How old was this person? Eleven. Eleven year old, and he said that to you. Yeah. Wow. So, um, for my issue was the anger that I felt. I felt kind of quite. Um, it bothered me that I had so much anger to someone so young, you know, and I've got um, I've got a nephew that's the same age, you know what I mean? You wouldn't dream of any harm to your nephew, but I would have really, um, I don't know, it was just difficult to wrestle with them. That goes internal. And then, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm married. My wife's, um, she's white, so we're in a mixed race relationship. There's no issue there. But I, I felt really isolated in going back to the station, the station being majority white officers, and I'm thinking, what do I do here? Who, you know? I kind of thought, well, that could come from anywhere. And I've never really had that. In my time, I've only kind of had probably five 
counts have sort of raced and thrown at me in the time. But three of them have been in the last three, four years. And that makes me worry, is that a societal thing? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. So I went 10 years and I had two. <laughs> okay, two times someone said something to me. But they were, you know, they were kind of grown men. You know, you can, you can say back, you can say whatever you want back. You can, you can argue with them, you can get them, you know, locked up and all that kind of stuff. And they understand what I'm saying, but someone that young, it just, it's just bad. You know. Yeah, it worries me where that sort of where that's been learned from. You know, yeah. he's obviously hearing things to make that an acceptable thing because I can't imagine that coming from a film or a computer game. No, and if I'd have gripped him and put him in the van because he was kind of like, I suppose nicking off school was the right term for it. And you know, I, I'm not saying I could understand it, but I could I could see why in his mind he wanted to lash out. But I just simply got him back in the van and I just knew where he lived. You know, I didn't. Don't do anything more, but um, obviously you're conscious of you wearing the uniform. So I was very conscious of not you can't act out, you can't say anything. Um, but that yeah, just wrestling with that was difficult for a period of time. But you know, now I'm at a stage where I can talk about things. So um, the damage it did was kind of I was able to get it out there. But um, yeah, just that anger, I didn't like that. So what was the thought process? So you said that you, you nearly quit. So you was obviously thinking about walking away from the job. So what made you stay? I went for a really, really long walk. Um, I, was, I was just saving. I just couldn't, um, couldn't kind of fathom what, 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 how all my time in that 11 years of doing that role since that lad was born, how it got to that. Do you know what I mean? Or, <laughs> and um, basically I went back to the station and. Um, the sergeant I wanted to speak to to tell was on a, a conference call and I had to wait on for him because if you know I was not to tell him. And this sergeant's known me since day one and he I guess he could kind of see that I'm I get told quite often I'm quite a calm person. I'm quite um relaxed and fairly well balanced and obviously I think he could quite see that I wasn't like that. Um and he just talked to me. He just talked to me and you know said look I he best because I can't pretend to say I know what you're going through I know you haven't been slotted I know you've not been attacked but it's a verbal attack and it's that it's what, you, what you're feeling so we talked about it and um, he said look just kind of take a bit of time out and see how you feel which I did I took some time out and I went for a kind of a ponder I took, took suppose, the rest of the day off and just kind of thought is it worth throwing away what I've done for so long um, a job that I like a job that's given me a lot of opportunities um, travel and whatnot you know and Find me with a certain lifestyle, um, and I decided to just carry on. But what is it's not not an easy decision to kind of let that slide. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you you say there's sort of a, a handful, five at least five incidents while you've been at work. Has has this been something that you've you've had incidents with away from work or before you started being a PCSO? Is it some? Yeah, I kind of. Um, I suppose when I was, it varies and society changes. And I suppose when you're older, you recognise what you have to lose. So you know, I was in a certain uh, bar, not in Leeds, somewhere. Uh, you know, walked in just to get myself and my wife a drink. You know, you're at the bar just like normal. Another say, no one knows you. Uh, it's just a Saturday afternoon, um, and I had someone shout from the other side of the bar, "You serving him first? And I looked over, and I was like, "Well." The barman's clearly seen me there, what, what's going off, you know, and then this fellow there is shouting something like, you know, you can't, you shouldn't serve that black, black, X, Y, Z. And I'm like thinking, 
you don't need this. I'm on a Saturday. It's a city I don't know. My and fiance sat in there with me. Um, what do you do? What do you do? And looked over, and this guy's got maybe two or three guys with him. Bear in mind, I don't know who else he's got in the pub with him. I kind of thought, do you want a ruckus? Do you not? What do you do? Um, I just give the barman the money and said, look, you just keep that. No problems. And the barman tried to apologise. I was like, it's not your fault, mate. No worries. See you later. I just walked out. And as I walked out, there's probably a little bit more. Um, but the relationship I have now, you know, my partner's away. If I just say we want to go, oh, it's going to get a bit dicey. We'll just get up and go. Which, if I was younger, it was probably different-minded. Um, I probably would have acted differently. And that's quite hard because I'm not saying I've squared that off myself, but it's just difficult. But obviously, you get into a fight, you get locked up, you can't get your head kicked in. You know, is it kind of... Yeah, and you're giving them the reaction that they're trying to get as well. And it's hard to sort of... When it's something so personal like that, it's hard to remember the right thing to do. And you want to sort of... Because when the anger comes inside you, the easiest way to get it out is to sort of lash out. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the, big, um, the bigger we get after, like, I, I understand what you're saying about um, when, with the young kid, if he was angry, you'd understand. Because when we get angry and we're, we're if I'm face to face with someone and we're having an ar- angry argument and that person is fat or ginger yeah. or wearing glasses then my insults are going to be a visual representations of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But for somebody with no sort of no reason, no, no, there's no, there's no anger. It's just that's that's their thoughts. That's just that's just how they think. That's that's that what they think is acceptable to say to somebody, whether it be in a public place or not. And that's yeah. the, that's the worst part of it, I think. I think the thing for me was that is that age is eleven. You know, what's it going to be like? By the time he's 14, 15, you know, yeah. it's difficult. And then I kind of think of a professional point of view of, I suppose, fear for him. Because if you say that in the wrong place, chapel down, Harold's the wrong person for whatever reason, you can, you know, people aren't going to be act with certain restraint, are they? You know, you just, they just wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I just kind of thought, um, it's quite weird because you're wearing a, a San Francisco top currently. And um, I was going to San Francisco about a week later, and that that kind of was getting into my thoughts. I was thinking, it's so, it's so weird. I was wanting to see the Golden Gate Bridge, and I look like the privilege to see that, but I kind of thought, somewhere in the back of my mind, I was saying, if you do out here, you won't be seeing that Golden Gate, you won't be flying on version, you won't be doing all that kind of stuff, you know? And yeah. it, it, it's one of those things. So, uh, luckily, I have some coping mechanisms or something inside me that was able to do that. I understand a lot of people can't. I understand it's an emotive thing and people just react. But as you say, it's that reaction that people want. But I don't think that 11-year-old lad wanted me to react. You know, what was I, 32 years old? You know, fairly. There's a bit of a height difference, a bit of a weight difference, you know. It's kind of a... And then I even thought of it. I thought kind of like, you know, if I was to, to do something to lash out what would the the headlines be in the papers what would all that be you know you read the context some people might say well yeah you, you know it's not right xyz but then the others that'll say you're getting paid to do a job you should be professional and you should take that well i have to be professional but you don't have to take it do you? you're also a human this is the thing yeah. media media is brilliant at that we're we're currently working on a, a project with um a live theater thing so the the topic is 
um, 14 year old boy arrested for drug dealing. So straight away, if that was a real headline, people are, well, he obviously won't brought up properly. It's his parents. It's this. So it's a live theater thing where people come and watch and we'll meet mum. Mum will be one of the characters that's cross-examined. And mum's going to be like a teacher. So it's about, all right, so how has he ended up like this? Yeah. Who, who are the people in his life that's influenced this? Just to, just to sort of challenge some of those media stereotypes. So yeah. Because everybody's got, everybody has um, a story and everybody has, I call them those kind of, um, I suppose, I call them pinch points. So what you have as a security is stability at a moment in time of crisis or a major decision in your life. If one of those pinch points, one of those things that kept you, all, kept you making the better decision was gone, what would you do? And that's a simple, you know, so people that are a, I don't know, some sort of high-flying solicitor versus someone else might have had various pinch points to it, and they could have ended up on the same path. And they, but it's just about being open to that and realising that and recognising that, you know. Yeah. So have you, how, were you brought up with sort of being able to talk about stuff? How, no. No. No, it's not, that's not really the kind of, um, for me anyway, my experience, my household. No, that wasn't the way I was able to to do stuff. It wasn't. You know, my, my family is not really. It's not like that. You just kind of get on with stuff. Do you know what I mean? You kind of you leave school, you get a job, um, you do what's what. You don't bring shame to the door or any kind of um, grief to the door. And I was the, I'm the youngest, so by kind of ten years. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. So I was kind of I just had to occupy myself really. Um, yeah, I just I, was, I guess I had you know good parents, um, good mum, good dad. Todd passed away um, when I was 20 and it's, Go on, sorry. it's just, um, yeah, I guess that was the time when I could have, I suppose maybe if I was going to act out and do something, then yeah, that would have been it, but I'm pretty, pretty boring to be honest with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> bear with me just one second. No worries. Um, if they're anywhere, they're going to be in that hall somewhere. There's, there's none left. Have have a count how many sheets, how many packs are left, the paper packs. Don't make any more paper plates then. As soon as, as soon as that top, you know the things that are on top of each other like that? As soon as they've gone, we don't have any more. Yeah, so as soon as you... I don't know if they'll fit. We might have to just give two separate ones. Right, so they all need a plant. So in, in the hall, in the bottom right corner, there's the brown bags with the plants. Right, so so every pack needs one of those. I'm not sure if it'll fit in, but well, see okay. see what it'll look like. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. All right, no worries. <laughs> it's a pain in the backside. I mean, it's good because it's just audio, so it's not too much of an issue. Okay, so... What about sort of your life today? So you talk about um, sort of how people have been treating you through your relationship and stuff. So does it? Do you have do you have any concerns about being in a mixed race relationship? Um, at first, it was difficult because obviously, when you meet someone, you kind of think, "Yeah, this person's all right." I, I never thought I'd get married, and never thought I'd. Um... This person's all right. Is she going to hear this? <laughs> She, she she knows I always I she knows I always say that. Um, but you know you, things are going well, and you just think, well, you know, is there a reason 
not to kind of you know commit and kind of cement this but I um I always believe if you have the opportunity to do something you should do it the right way and I went up and asked for her hand in marriage and that for me was a big thing because I did at first when I met him met her family her parents uh before I met him they knew I was black yeah so the new name was you know they knew me and I kind of thought right okay um and we had this conversation and I said well so why do they know that I'm, I'm black and then you have other conversations about you know are there many black people and there's not a great many black people in the northeast where this person grew up and I kind of thought wow how's this going to go down here you know Leeds is quite was it a concern that they're one of the things that she mentioned about you? Um, maybe I just kind of thought, you know, you, you, you kind of say to your parents, oh, I'm seeing this new guy, right? you know, called Andy, all right. Yeah. And then they'll straight away the colour of his skin's mentioned. So I'm like, yeah. well, what's, what's that about? <laughs> what's that about? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, there was nothing behind it. It was just, I guess it's just, I don't know. Um, but since then, it's been quite fine. But I thought about challenges like, you know, kind of, have you ever gone up? Oh. These ones. Yes, them ones. Sorry, no worries. So I kind of forgot about... Um... Give it his head in. <laughs> just jumped in and said, don't say it confidential. Wow. All right, apologies, mate. Just, just try and carry on and I'll just see what, right. what I can <laughs> So I kind of um, I kind of thought, why? Well, so you're getting into this, and she ever been out with a guy that's sort of known my before, and it wouldn't know. And I'm kind of thinking, so if this goes long, you know, long term and goes well, it's kind of changing her family dynamic quite massively because I, you know, I don't know him very well. But obviously, over time, it's all fine. There's no issues. But yeah, I was conscious of that. Um, in terms of relationships, I. I enjoy going to, to gigs and stuff, and I, I go to gigs with my brother. Me and my brother both like the Prodigy, we both quite love the Prodigy. Um, I'm not sure we'll get a chance to see him again. But we once went to one of the concerts. Um, so obviously, you know, there's two guys there that are both, both black and both there, just doing what you're doing. Um, I'm, not, I'm a bit boring, as I said, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do um, anything I kind of shouldn't. It's, bit, it's bit not straight. boring, because I'm... <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit straight edge. The, the new yeah. cool, that's yeah. what it is. <laughs> but then, so you're at this gig, and people come up to you, you know, it's crowded, you know, there's a few thousand people, and people come up to you saying, have you got anything? I'm like, well, I've got what? I've got my house keys, what do you mean? Have I got anything? Oh, no, no, sorry, mate, I didn't, I didn't, didn't sort of mean anything going off and asking me if I've got it. and my brother turned and said to me, said, you know what, if we were all here in our work uniforms, so don't even come near you. So that's the thing. Yeah. Because you're at this gig here and you kind of there's this assumption that you must be knocking something out, you know. Yeah. I haven't Johnson said maybe I should like get you know get some bags and put some sherbet dipping or something, you know I mean? but, <laughs> but I just but someone's come near you and just go, what, you know, have you got out? And when you turn around and go, I've got what I've got my house keys. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't mean I'll buy it. Why did you ask me? Yeah, it'd be um, it'd be funny <laughs> if you've got your wallet out and said what you're after, and then just pulled <laughs> out your warrant card instead of drugs. Yeah, he always he always likes that. Remember, he always, he always remembers that because it's like it's happened a couple of times. But you know, he said just then how close and how kind of um, how delicate the person was of asking me. Then when I said, "Well, I've got what I've got my house keys," it just flipped like that. I've had, when I was younger, 
I've had um, I've seen a guy sort of looking at me, and, and to be fair, I was honest, I was looking at his his girlfriend, but I didn't know we were together. She was all right, and he kind of sent his girlfriend up to ask me if, if I've got her, and I was like, what? And I just laughed at her and says, look, I ain't got anything. But I was kind of um, if I was in business, it's not good to give discounts, even if you're pretty. So, yeah. you, know, kind of, uh, you know, and you kind of remember these things because obviously, you know, you're out, you're just, you know, your coke, you're on your water, whatever, because in Coca Cola, that is our diet coke, not anything else. Yeah. And uh, I always remember those moments because I'm like thinking, so I'm at a gig, I'm here for the music, I've paid my ticket, and people are still asking me these kind of questions. Yeah. Wow. It's 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 the labels, like when you're talking about meeting your missus' parents. So, I. I have similar situations where I just think, so when, when I came home from prison, I moved back to my mum's and then I was meant to move out um, in the summer last year and mm-hmm. one pot of funding fell through. So I wasn't earning enough to be able to. It's a bad thing about having a sort of CIC in the third yeah. sector. You never know where sort of money's coming from. So you might have a few months where you're like three and a half grand a month and then you're on a grand a month. So it's just sort of, it's hit and miss. And how do you go, how do you go to buy a house when you don't know if you're going to have an income in six months? You're still going to have a company, but you don't know what the income is going to be. It's really, it's a real pain. Um, So I, I always think, all right, so I meet a new girl. I'm like, yeah, I, my name's Phil. I'm 36. I'm a a drug addict. I've been to prison twice. I live with my mum. It's sort of like, how do you, uh, how do you sell that one to somebody? Mum, yeah. I've met a new guy. Oh, have you? Tell me about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've got a, I think um, a, a lot, I suppose, nowadays as well, in, in most areas, how you present and how you are as a person when you first meet someone says a lot about you. But I think in that one area of, of, of romance and kind of getting the parents approval and all that kind of stuff, it's just... What can you do? But then I could say the same for you. Like anyone who meets you would not have anything negative to say about you. But if somebody paints a picture of either you or your past before you get the opportunity to say, This is me, this is what this is what your daughter fell in love with, you know, it's it's, this is me today. I'm only I'm only able to do all the things I'm doing today because of all that bad stuff that happened before. Um you know you've got to go through things, haven't you? Yeah, this is it. I don't get that opportunity for them to meet me first and then start to find out, oh, so tell me about your company. Why is it that you do that? Da, da, da. And I'd like that to be a, a more of a natural conversation than sort of them having that. And, and tattoos as well, obviously. You know, you yeah, so I've, I've, got, I've got one arm tattooed. You can't really see it on there, but I've got yeah. one arm tattooed. But um, yeah, that's again another thing where people have, you know, they have views on people with tattoos. And I'm like, yeah. All right, what's, what's your view? Well, you're going to be up to X, Y, Z, about that. Yeah, this is it. Beard, motorbike, tattoos. They all yeah. come with their own little, you know, <laughs> you took in prison and drugs along with that and you just think, wow, what is yeah. my daughter doing with this person? <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but, you know, I always, I always believe, as I said, you know, you've got to go through things to, to get to where you are and you've got to kind of acknowledge what you've, what you've been through to really appreciate where you are now and, you know. Yeah, I was having this conversation yesterday, I think it was, um, just about before before I started taking drugs, 20-year-old, I was an area manager of a security company. So if I'd never touched drugs, I'd probably have a really nice house and car and 
mm-hmm. you know, a very sort of financially well-off life. But I won't be doing anything fun. Like if I, if someone said to me, do you want to start a podcast? And I'd just be like, to talk about what? The importance of getting up and going to work every day. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing that I would potentially have in my life worth talking about. I had a I had a friend that um, he he kind of lost um, a parent similar time to mine and they got into quite a lot of debt, like quite a lot of debt. You know, never crazy on it. Well, I say never crazy about not for ten grand's worth of debt. And the shame he felt of that, you know, his family don't know not about that, and he just worked all the hours to clear it and clear it and clear it and clear it. And, clear it. and you know, he kind of didn't see him much. It was a case we kind of dropped him a message every so often. Now you don't. Yeah, I'm still. You know. I'm, this point here, I'm, I'm digging myself out a bit slowly. But he said meeting um, meeting a partner and living at home and being kind of the age I am now. So what was he then? He would have been maybe, he ran up this debt, 24, 25, into his 30s. People would judge you straight away. He was like, you know, I'm not some kind of dosser. <laughs> I've, been, I've been, I just had a bad time and he didn't know how to open up about it. But he said he didn't want to pay it off straight away. He just wanted to pay it off gradually and gradually and gradually. And then as soon as he did pay off, he just went part-time. Just went part-time so those who don't want to work like anymore. Yeah. Just want more free time. And, you know, he's all right now, but the shame he felt of that. And he's like, you know, letting people down. And I don't know, we, we always talked. And they, um, he, he always really appreciated that time of talking. I guess now I'm older. I kind of look back and think, well, yeah, he actually does. And, you know, he came to my wedding and he shook me on. And he was like, you know what, I just want to say thank you. And he gave me a little something at the wedding. I was like, you know, I kind of said, look, you don't, you know, it's like, listen, I'm all right now. Don't worry about it. And you kind of feel a bit bad, don't you? Because kind of think, I don't want to slight him by not accepting this little wedding gift from him. But then I'm thinking, is he all right? Is he telling me he's all right? And he's not. Yeah. But I just have to accept the gesture. And you appreciate things like that now. And kind of, you know, sort of two, two years married. Kind of think, yeah, um, he's all right. He's all right now. He's got someone he's... Uh, he got all flat with him. He's quite happy, but um, he always calls that his um, he calls that his dark passenger kind of thing. He used to watch one of the TV shows, and he calls it from that. And it's like Dexter. Dexter, yeah. yeah so yeah. he called that. He says that period of time I felt with that debt, I was saddled with it. It was unbelievable, you know, like having to just kind of pay his mum, board money. He couldn't do anything flash. Couldn't go on holiday. Didn't go out. Didn't do nothing. You know, just. He just read a lot. He said that helped him and just the occasional chat with mates. But he always says, look, I'm at peace with that now. I'm yeah. at peace with that. I could have done something stupid running up that day, he said. But if he'd just been aware of opening up and talking to people more, um, and he was the mindset he is now, he could have he could have dealt with that so much differently. Yeah, I, th- I think... One it was credit cards as well. <laughs> That's all it was, it was credit cards. Yeah. Just yeah. We have this really good ability of sort of talking up our own problems and believing that no one else is going through the same things. So we feel like we're isolated and what are we? we're expecting ourselves to deal with every situation that's going wrong. And then when you start talking to people about stuff and you just think, like when, when I did the steps, one of the steps is um, admitting the worst things you've ever done to one other human being so you you have a sponsor and you sit with them and you tell them the worst things that have happened in your life and all these things like the build-up to that so you obviously you know when you're going to see them and what you're going to be talking about so you're sat and you're like i can't tell somebody so much stuff oh my can you imagine with his face or her face when i say that you know this happened or that happened and then you sit with them and you tell them and they go 
is that it? Yeah. Is is that it? Are they the worst things that have? And it just sort of makes you realise that you know we're not we're not these horrible people, and all these problems aren't big, huge things. And nowadays, 2020, no matter what issue you have in your life, there's organisations that are out there that are funded to help. I've yeah. not I've not found one person with an issue that there isn't an organisation that's set up to specifically help them with that problem. Yeah, and that's that's the good thing, but. Obviously, I think, as you say, you know, when you have that problem, you only have your kind of your own inner monologue. I think certainly a lot of the youngsters that, you know, we encounter, they they are kind of maybe solidified by that. They feel like I can't let this out because it is going to be viewed as weakness or, you know, the reputation is more important or there'll be consequences. But when you accept you're in a, you're in a hole and you accept you're in a hole, that's your starting point, isn't it? And then you can start taking steps to get out of that. And I wish I could go back and communicate that with myself at a younger age with certain people I've met because, I don't know, maybe it's just a maturity thing. Maybe it's just having good people around you. But yeah. I've always now been an advocate of just speaking about problems and issues. Yeah. And not everyone's like that. And, you know, part of the, the biggest part of NA is being in a meeting and listening to other people talk about the stuff that they've been through and identifying the same things with you so you don't we're not special you know uh-huh. we're not we're not we're not unique our thought process is the same as everyone else in the same situations um yeah, yeah. i need to ask you about your t-shirt obviously people aren't going to be able to see it chemical brothers t-shirt yeah so how 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 was your the music you listen to where where's that come from where, what was your influence so the music I um, kind of grew up with in the house was kind of reggae, um, which I can't stand personally. Uh, my one of my brothers, he um, he like, used to listen to mixtapes and demos and stuff. And um, when he'd go out, I'd put them in and start playing them. Um, and you think you're all right, don't you? And then sort of tape got chewed up and whatever and I, I just it got all unrolled and I started panicking I was like oh, what am I going to do and I just took it out and put it back in the box as if he's not going to notice his tapes like all unrolled and back in the box and he sat me down he spoke to me he was like will you play this I was like yeah that's like he's like okay I'll leave them out and I'll put them in for you and just play them and from that I just grew that that, um, that ability to listen to music and I suppose mine's more it was kind of dance music I follow one kind of DJ who was DJing I suppose in the early 90s and he's still DJing now He's in his fifties, I would imagine. But obviously, dance music's changed, and you know, um, I've always found it—it's just your mood. It just suits my mood, you know, whatever journey it takes you on. Is... Oh, just one second. Phil, so the packs are made up. Yeah. Pencils and plants. Yeah. The ones that we made up, those cards are in there. Should they go in there? Yeah, I don't know how many of them are left. You'll run out of them before you run out of packs. Right, so but whatever's well, left, put put, put them, them into some of them. And then on this side, you've got the made up with those plants. Yeah, so they need they need a plate with all that stuff, yeah. the coloured pencils, okay. one of them, one of the paper packs and a plant, okay. and then we'll sort the cheese and the sauce and the dough ball out after. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. No worries, pal. Cheers, mate. Sorry again. It's all right. No we were meant to be working this week. We were meant to be done, and then someone asked for 70 more packs, so we've had to, um, we've had to come back and carry on making them. So. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, so- who is the DJ? Are you, do you want to mention him? Uh, there's a few. There's an old DJ called um, 
Carl Cox or Sasha, but my favourite is a DJ called John Dickweed, and he's he's in lockdown. He's because he can't get out. He's been doing these sort of bunker sessions, right. where I guess he just comes on at nine o'clock and he just plays whatever. It's quite a mixture from you know stuff made today to stuff made back in the like two thousand one to back in the nineties, and he just does a mix, and it's quite nice just to sit. Well, for me anyway, to sit down and just float through it, and I just kind of gives me that reset time. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Just um, it's something I've always done as a young age, and it, it never changes. And it has the same importance to me. I'm not a big. I don't really go for the kind of big music videos or stuff like that because I never heard music with a video. I just heard music, and that was yeah. it. it. Was just you know a lot of the stuff wasn't. There were no videos to it. There was no image about it. It was just pretty much this is a mix. So you go if you like it, listen to it. Or if not, um. But yeah, and then as I got older, and you know, you start listening to bands and stuff. I like quite a lot of the indie bands, but I, I've been told by one or two people I'm not a very. Um, I've been told this by a black person actually. I'm not a very stereotypical black guy. I'm more a white guy, and I'm like. You mentioned car music with your wife. Yeah, so uh, my wife likes quite a lot of. I don't know, she likes Beyonce, she likes um, Justin Timberlake, she's quite a lot of Snoop, Jay-Z, all that kind of stuff. So we, in summertime, you know, we sat down, the windows are down, music's on. I imagine people would look in, it's probably a bit of a stereotype or perception issue I have myself, but people look in and think, oh, look, look at her, she's kind of like letting him listen to his music, whereas mine would just be... That was the stereo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of, mine would be, I don't know, 80s music to indie music to you know my dance music that i like but i don't like rap or r&b and all that it's not it's just not for me right see i i when when i was little when i was in primary school my mum was in a band with her three sisters called sister act and they used to do all motown mm. music so if you've seen the film sister act it's that type of yes that type of stuff um so happy childhood you, say again very happy childhood yeah, it, we never we never sort of went without. Uh, we weren't well off, but we never went without. Um, Mum and Dad are still together, which is unusual these days. Um, mm. But yeah, two older sisters, uh, knew all the words to the Motown songs, um, yeah. just from them rehearsing at our house when we used to come home. Um, and then I started doing inline skating and it changed to sort of Blink-182, <laughs> Limp Biscuit, stuff like that. And then I went... You tell me Avril Lavigne next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all that sort of stuff. And then it was um, Dr. Dre, Eminem, Exhibit, things like that when I left school. And then Jugs made me listen to house music and electro. Mm -hmm. And then since then, I don't really listen to new music now. If I'm out on the bike, I just have what tracks are on my phone playing through the headset. Um, I never get a chance to listen to radio. I don't watch MTV or any sort of music channels. So I don't really get new music. I don't I don't know what it is. If you played me a few songs, I would not have a clue who they are because I'm never exposed to it. Yeah. So all I've got on my phone now um, is the old like R&B stuff, um, like the, the, R the Dr. Dre. You're in your vault. Someone told me as you get older, You've got a vault with all your music and all your music's going in that you have throughout years and whatever, and you stack yeah. it all up and so nice and that's so important to you. And as you get older, that vault door starts to close because you just think, I'm not, I'm not too fussed. But then I don't know. want to be that guy that's like, oh, kids these days and the music, it's all just boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. But when I, I, I swap phones, but when I had an iPhone with iTunes, I 
we'd be having a conversation and someone would say, I'd be like, oh, do you remember that song? And then I'd just go on iTunes and buy it. So I had like, um, do you remember Totally Addicted to Bass, where the two cars yes. were racing? Like just randomly, I'd just download that song and then that'd be part of my playlist. And um, 21 Seconds to Go, wow. um, So Solid Crew. Yeah, <laughs> just like songs because that's what music is for me. It reminds me of stuff. So all all the sort of um, indie music that I can go back and listen to reminds me of when we used to go skating and yeah. um, and that's the downside. So I worked on the doors at the cockpit, um, okay. for a while, and that really got me back into sort of newer indie music. Um, from what Still I used to was there a couple of times cockpit when it was open. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a different place, but then they started opening up other sort of indie type bars in Leeds yeah Sherman, a couple up at the uni so uh, it just got less busy uh, but I love that I loved working there um, but yeah that it's the reason why I don't listen to dance music anymore because it's really easy for me to remember all the fun that we had whilst out yeah. in clubs taking drugs and the music reminds me of those good times because oh do you remember when you was with that particular person in that particular yeah. club and you were just at that peak and then that song came on and you were both just like, yes, this is it. It's so weird because people have said to me, how, how can you listen to the kind of music you listen to and just be stone cold sober, just know nothing? And I, I just say to them, that, that's how I've always listened to it. I don't, yeah. there's nothing I mean, to I, change. I've seen some people proper dancing out to um, Prodigy. Like yeah. really sort of, you'd imagine it like you could change the music to proper like head banging, slip door, yeah. corn type stuff. And they're really going for it. And it's to Prodigy. And it's like when you get into that zone, like there's certain music. There's a band called um, Hadouken. I don't know if you've okay. heard of Yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. There's a few of those songs. I went to um, a few nights and they played like, I don't even know what you'd call that. It's like rock music with rap lyrics. Rap, yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's not my, not my kind of thing, but yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah but on drugs, it was absolutely brilliant. You put them on now and I'd just be a bit like, oh, this is a yeah. bit uncomfortable to listen yeah, to. Yeah, I, I like the kind of, uh, you know, I suppose the DJ that I've liked with him having the ability to go back and dig through his selection from the early 90s all the way up to now and still, I, I guess it's quite... Um, it's quite an eclectic because it goes from maybe to house up to progressive house to techno back down to a really really like sort of um break beat and then back to something else it's been quite interesting listening to just him playing whatever he wants to yeah. play rather than just playing in a club for a set two hours at a certain time where he's got to fill that time it's been interesting but yeah i just i don't know i've always I've always liked music but then there's other days Come on, here, there's like tears for fears and whatnot belting out all 80s stuff you know it's kind of yeah because that reminds me of being a kid Right. It reminds me of being, uh, being small and whatnot. And yeah, I just, I don't know. It's I never weird. thought I'd like it. It's weird, isn't it? It's so weird. Yeah. It can have such a positive effect. And then it's things like you hear a song at a funeral and then it takes you back to that funeral every time. My sister once wrote me a letter and it was about a song by, it's called How to Save a Life. I can't remember who sings it. Um, Not sure. It's The Summer. I'm sure it's The Summer. But the words in it, she said, I was ironing one day and this song came on and I just started crying and it just reminded, it just made me think like, this is my feelings towards you and using drugs. And I can't listen to the fray, it's called, they're called the fray. And I can't listen to it now. It's just ruined that song for me. It's had that negative impact where I'm, I'm transported to being my sister thinking about me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think only music does that 
to you. I think I don't know if there's anything else. So for me, anyway, that I can think of that can just kind of change your mood instantly. I'd like to obviously, as a poet, throw that in there. But it's words, you know. Yes. Music. There's obviously a tempo and a beat to it. Um, but the way that people construct words together like I, I watched a documentary about oasis and if you listen to some of their lyrics they don't even make sense no they don't know slowly walking down a hall faster than a cannonball wrap up cold when it's warm outside <laughs> you just think yeah. What? <laughs> yeah yeah i quite i quite like oasis but um yeah when you actually a lot of songs when you actually break and right see the words listed you just think what is that and that's why I lean towards more the kind of um, the effects side of dance music, where I just think it's just just emotion. However, that sound makes you feel it makes you feel. You can't get past that. It's just one of those things. But it's whatever you want to interpret music to be. But I, I think now the age I am, I just feels a lot more leaning towards the image more so than the actual content in terms of music videos. And I guess that's having a negative impact in certain ways on certain people. But that's yeah, I just think a lot of the songs I've listened to that some of the DJs have put on their mixes, they've never even been released. It was just like a few white labels printed, that's the end of it, you know. Yeah. No video, no nothing, you know. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Yeah, I used to have um, like a CD wallet. Yeah, yeah. Blank CDs with um, felt pen that's smudged off so you don't quite know yeah, what yeah. is anymore and it's all just house DJs that are putting their stuff out and there's some there was a guy called Victor Velasco um, okay. and his he had this one CD and it was amazing and like I'm I'm one of these where I'll buy an album and it's very rare that I'll listen to a full a full album oh, even like tracks off that you like yeah so I'll have just select tracks from each album um there's only been a couple of albums where I'd listen to, you know, just push play at one and just let it run through. Um, and this, this, like now I can't even tell you what songs are on it, but his name will always stick with me because that CD was one of the best CDs. And I never owned it. It was at one of our friend's house and he knew him. Um, and it would just sort of, we'd go there and we'd just, that's the only place we got to listen to this CD. Mm. But I'll never forget it. Yeah, him or you know the feelings that came with it. I couldn't, like I say, I could tell you the songs that were on it, but I just remember it was absolutely brilliant. But yeah, so that, that's me. I'm just not really. Um, I just am what I am. I just kind of like what I like, and that's that's. So I'm a bit of a. I feel a bit kind of isolated at times because I don't really conform to what a lot of people believe I should conform to, or their views on what I would conform to. Um, and sometimes when you speak to people, they feel a bit kind of blown away, but. So what's, what's the deal with the VRU then? So you obviously you've been a PCSO for nearly thirteen years. But so, so for me, I'm seconded in, so uh, my comment will end. And um, currently, oh, I think just, what's what does VRU stand for? Uh, violence reduction unit. All right, carry on. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, so violence reduction units cells try and um, look at the, I suppose the causes, understanding, and tackling and. Um, of kind of youth serious crime and knife crime um, and just trying to approach things in a slightly different way um, and work with what's out there and you know trying to empower communities to attack things in a different way to what they're doing now because everyone cares but it's just channeling that energy in a different way yeah 
I mean, they've been brilliant for us. We've, we've, I say us, life experience, we've got a really, really good relationship with the BRU. Um, they gave us some funding to run some projects through January, February, March. Yeah. They gave us the ability to buy some iPads that were currently, they're all out in young people's houses that don't have equipment. And what we're doing is we're setting them um, audio and video tasks. So there's an app called TikTok yeah well, we're getting them to do sort of tiktok videos and they won't be able to do stuff like that if we didn't have the ipads to to give out and put into people's houses um you know we, we work with some really sort of deprived families so to be given a lap uh, a laptop to be given an ipad um for them to use to to do drawing we've put drawing apps on it and stuff um it's it's massive for them yeah, it has such a positive impact on their probably their well-being and their general mental health, particularly during this what sort of ninth, tenth week of lockdown. You know, without that, where where would we be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's allowing us to keep communicating with them, and you know, we've got some plans for the future. But the work that we're trying to do and the sort of objectives of the VRU are very similar. So I think it's going to be sort of an ongoing positive relationship. Relationship, yeah. As it, um, as I feel, it's it has been and it will be into the future. It's just the future currently seems quite, quite it's quite unknown what it's going to look like, doesn't it? You know, it feels yeah. a bit odd, really. Um, no, especially so. I've I've not been able to furlough. I've not had any grants. I've not qualified for any of the um, help that the government are handing out. Um, so it's really tough. So I'm I'm obviously still working. I'm, but the good thing about us is we can create projects, whatever the situation. So we'll yeah. always be relevant. You know, if if we if we solve knife crime, if we complete knife crime and it's not a thing anymore, and no one takes drugs anymore, and there's no um, violence through alcohol, we ban alcohol, we ban all those things. Yeah, yeah. There'll be something. There will be something. And our job is to find the right people coach them, create a project and then deliver that. So yeah. regardless what, what's going on, we'll always be we'll always be involved, which is brilliant for us. But yeah, it's just this time it's tough. It's really tough. You know, we 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 sort of trying to do what we can, but you're limited. So we're we're currently sending out activity packs for kids and stuff. We're creating seven hundred packs in South Leeds. But there's restrictions on that. You know, yeah. like what, what ingredients can you hand out for pizzas? Um, yeah. How many volunteers can you get in? How Things like once you've bagged cheese, how long can you keep it in a fridge before it goes <laughs> off? I don't know things like that. You know, we, we sort of, what we, what we do is completely different to this, but we're trying to adapt to make it relevant. So there's us and sort of 11 other organizations that are involved and it's it's stressful i'm not gonna lie it's been stressful but it's, it's you worked. take away some skills and some knowledge that you would never ever have, yeah. have had without this period and you'll always remember it as well and some gray you'll hair always remember this period yeah lots of gray hair that's lots that's, of gray <laughs> that's the downside to doing this yeah it comes to us all it comes to us all <laughs> luckily i can just, i can just do mine with some um, my beard trimmer trying to my barber so you can't get a number one wrong, can you really? No, no, you can't. You can't. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I genuinely really appreciate you coming on to talk to us. Yeah, thank you. I hope it's been of um, some use. Yeah, it's been really, it's been a big learning for me. Like I say, some of the stuff that you've spoke about, we sort of it's easy to sort of assume that it doesn't still happen. And I get into quite a lot of conversations on Facebook where you know people are saying that you know racism isn't a thing anymore. 
and it's just and this is white people saying that racism isn't a thing anymore um and i usually just sort of direct them towards people who experience it regularly there's race there's racism from um from black towards white there's racism from asian towards white there's racism between black towards asians racism from white towards any other It, it, it happens and i I always kind of think, you know, when you know someone and you just, you know, things happen, people people put stuff on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, without knowing that person and just the impact that those words can have on someone, you've got no idea. But if you were to see that person in the street, chances are you probably wouldn't say what you wanted to say. Do you know the that- worst the worst things I've heard have been on Xbox? So I, I go on Xbox with my nephew all oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And the chat in some of the games is awful. And when you comment on it, on so there's an Xbox Facebook group, and if you say yeah. out on there, the all the comments that people get back is, "Oh, you wouldn't have survived if you was on da 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 back in the day." Yeah. Saying, it's not. It's not. This isn't about comparison. So my yeah. nephew's gamer tag has LFC because he's a Liverpool fan, and it just things like um, the Hillsborough disaster was a f- the funniest thing ever, and. You know, comments like that, and you just think, what's a die? I hope your grand dies. I hope the, uh, this person dies. As people just spouting the door realize the connotations of what they're saying. Yeah, it'd be interesting to sort of get a little project together with, with Microsoft and say, you find out where these people play from. Yeah, we'll send, together. We'll send a camera crew with the police and stuff to the house and just say, you know, do do your parents know that all these things that you've said, do they think that this is acceptable? Yeah. And just sort of just as like a wake up call. There was it happened yeah. as someone called out somebody on and it was one of these YouTubers and he turned up at their house and it was just like I can't the the the, the whole attitude and persona just completely it's changed when they were there in front of them. I just think it'd be really funny. Um and people might learn something from it. They might not, but yeah. Be good to watch. Yeah, it make interesting viewing, wouldn't it? <laughs> Brilliant, right, Andy? Thank you very much, mate. I really, really appreciate it. No problem. You All take right. care and stay safe during lockdown. Yeah, See you, you too. Mate. See you later. Okay, so everything's recording. <clears throat> just, I know it's hard because obviously we have all this in front of us, but just try and imagine that it's just us talking. Yeah. Uh, little picture. Oh. You ready to go? Yeah. Brilliant. All right. So, Scott, Scotty, which do you prefer? Uh, I'm more used to Scotty than Scotty. Yeah? Probably, yeah. Okay, so I've asked you to come on because it'd be good to have a, a talk to you about sort of you being 18-year-old growing up in 2020, um, the difference between what it was like for me and what it was like for you, Um and sort of the stuff you're doing now, the decisions you're making. So I guess the best place to start is high school. So yeah. what what was high school like? Uh, everybody always says that it's probably one of the best times of your life and you'll miss it. And I can see that sometimes. Mm. There's certain elements of it that, you know, I do think I miss, like certain classes. And you spend a lot of time with, like, your mates and stuff in different classrooms and you know it, it is enjoyable but it's it's hard as well 
especially obviously when you get to the back back end of high school and you've got like your exams and stuff how how was you with your exams like pressure wise like i can't remember feeling too much pressure because i had a job to start the day after my last exam so yeah. i was never really too bothered about my exams but i've been hearing about um young people taking medication like karmas and you know things to chill them out just for their exams yeah well personally like it didn't really phase me that much like i was really chilled out about it because i knew that i'd worked hard throughout the last so it was more of a years. confidence than a not really bothered yeah because obviously i knew that i'd done whatever i could and no matter what happened i would i'd try my best so whatever the outcome was shows really yeah okay so what what other things do you miss like do you still speak to some of the people you went to school with yeah yeah they're some of my closest mates like there's probably about three or four that i still speak to that i'm still close with now like they've become like my best mates and i don't see anything changing about that really right so what like actual school so did you have like like we had the guys who played football um and then there was like people who smoked who would be like at the opposite end of the playground. Did you have like different groups of? Yeah, you, they're probably not as distinct as that are. They're not categorised as that anymore. You, you have your groups like you probably have like your sort of more popular people who um, everybody knows and stuff. And then you sounds harsh, but we we just call them like uh, you'd have like you geek sort of thing and then you'd have like your evil groups and stuff yeah. like that I, I shied away from saying geek group because <laughs> I, I don't know if any of them will hear this or not and know that they were part of that group <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so it does it sounds it does sound quite similar so when when you was in high school when did people start talking to you about what you want to do after uh, I think it's probably about year, year nine so when you start discussing your options and stuff because obviously your options are something that you want to do so potentially it's something you want to further um, like one of my options were PE so I know full well that PE is something I wanted to go down in college and stuff so yeah it's probably about year nine and you start getting like your careers meetings and you start looking at work experience and stuff so then it becomes a lot more real that and at that point what is it that you wanted to do? Uh, I've always said to be fair that I want to be a PE teacher um, and how long have you sort of wanted to do that probably as long as I can remember to be honest right I, I love sport like any sport I love it so being able to be in an, uh, an environment where I can just do sport every day and teach other people it's ideal really Right, and so you say you love sports. So what? What do you do? I know you've got sort of links with cricket, football, rugby. Yeah, well, currently I play football and cricket. Um, like you said, I, I used to play rugby as well. So, but I do like to think I'm uh, capable of having a go at every sport. To be fair. So. so do you think you're more like your uncle Phil when it comes to sport, or more like your auntie Alicia? Like, are you actually good at sport, or do you just talk about being good at sport? Uh, I'd, I'd like to think I'm actually good at sport. So more like your uncle Phil, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, I just wanted to get that out there. Okay, <laughs> she won't be happy about that. So what? 
obviously the work I do, I work with sort of young people your age and a lot younger around drugs and alcohol. And is that something that you've ever been introduced to or been around? Or do you know people that are doing it that's your age? Um, well, it's never been something that I've thought of doing. I've always been like dead into my sport and it's something that I enjoy doing so I'd never want to do anything that would like jeopardise that uh, but I've been in situations where there's people around me doing stuff uh, like that but it's just never really fazed me to be honest because I'm just so keen on like being active and yeah. playing sport and stuff that it's just never really bothered me. Okay and so knowing obviously about me going to prison and my sort of 10 years of addiction did that sort of have play on your mind at all or did it make you think about things or I think it makes what I've always thought more real because obviously it's somebody close in your family who's um, ended up becoming addicted and stuff and how that's changed their life and then they've had to suffer for it by going to prison and being away from the family for so long and stuff so it, it obviously makes what I've always thought more real kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, and what about the sort of, you mentioned those sort of few friends, are they all similar mindsets to you? Uh, yeah, I don't, I'd think so. They're all very, like, career-driven and stuff and want to do well for themselves and stuff, so... Yeah. So what what's... What's, what does your life look like now, sort of like? What does a week in your life look like? Well, apart from on, on the lockdown, let's let's pretend they're in a lockdown. So you you get up Monday morning, what are you doing? Uh, well, Mondays are normally my day off from college. That was so. a bad start, wasn't it? Yeah. All right, so college. So you'll you'll go through to college. How do you get to college? Um, well, I used to get the bus um, at like quarter, quarter to eight every morning. Right. For, um, and where'd you go, Wakefield? Wakefield, yeah. But um, yeah, that were always the worst bit on a on a morning. Having to walk up <laughs> to the bus stop and standing cold, um, and then start less than about nine. And then depending what day it is, you'd probably have an hour or so in lesson, and then you'd have a little break, and then another hour or so in lesson, and then. A, lunch break and then last lesson and I'd probably be home for about three o'clock so is it on a bus probably about five o'clock well, yeah with the way the buses are it'd be 20 past the hour so <coughs> I'd either well I'd normally finish and just miss the bus so I'd have to wait another hour to get the next bus and then it'd take another 40 minutes to get it on so it was yeah. never ideal so you passed your driving test yeah first time uh second I think put the first time down to being nervous. So. What did you fail that on? Uh, I can't remember, to be honest. It were just little, little things. things that were really annoying, like my gears and right. stuff like that, but I obviously managed to correct it. So. And what made you want to learn to drive at sort of 17? I don't, I don't know. It was just always something that I wanted to, as soon as I was 17, I was like, right, I want to start my driving lesson and stuff, just because I knew, like, the freedom that you get with it like if you get a car and stuff you can just literally go off and do your own thing and you don't have to rely on people and stuff like that and like college I don't have to get up as early and I can make my own way there and then I'm not waiting for the bus to get home and stuff and I do other things as well like refereeing and stuff and it just mean buses would let me down or you'd have to wait longer for buses and stuff and it was just annoying and I thought 
you know, if I can go out and pass my test and get a car, my life would be so much easier than what it is now <laughs> waiting for buses. Yeah, this the the problem that I find is like you've grown up on a council estate. Well, you you grew up in Scotland actually, didn't you? Yeah. And then you moved back from Scotland, and you know we've always lived on council estates. You've lived in four different houses in Leeds, I think it is. Yeah, a few in Edinburgh as well. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you've sort of not settled too much. I mean, like the places in Leeds are all close together, so yeah. you keep the same sort of school and friends. Um. But I work with so many people who just have no aspirations to want to do anything. Like passing a driving test seems like something adults do, and it's like, but yeah, you, yeah. You, when you're seventeen, eighteen, you're an adult, and these are the these yeah. are the possibilities and the opportunities, and it's it's annoying that some people can't imagine life outside of that council estate. Yeah, you know, not that there's anything wrong. Like I've always said, I couldn't imagine moving away from Beeston, but. There's so much more stuff to do outside. You can always come back to what you'd call yeah. home. Um, but yeah, so what? What? Where's that motivation come from to want to sort of do more? Uh, I'm not sure. I just, I've always been somebody who wants to be out doing things and stuff like. I like. I hate sitting in house all day, every day. Like, I I always want to be out with my mates or just doing something. I like to keep active no matter what it is. So I suppose it's that, just the fact that I can, if I push myself, then I'll be able to do whatever I want in the future and be successful and have all the things that I kind of want. Oh, it's brilliant to hear somebody. And I, I don't mean, when I call you young, I don't mean that in like a derogatory way, but someone just sort of 18 who's already sort of... So you, what worries me about you is we're very similar like at your age i was very sport orientated i had a job the day after my six i started work the day after my last exam um i did a printing apprenticeship because my mum told me i needed a trade i worked for one pound 57 an hour i used to pedal a bmx to bramley on every day and back so i'd work 37 hours a week and get paid 60 quid for a week um so it was it was tough, but it was what I needed to do. You know, I yeah. was told that I need a trade. And then after a year, um, I didn't get a pay rise. I turned 17, I didn't get a pay rise. And I would I wasn't being taught anything. So I left there, moved to a, um, a shop in White Rose. And then the security kept coming and saying, oh, you should come and do this. Um, and I've just always sort of, someone says, why don't you do this as a job just as like an in-between like the the hotel so yeah. I went and when I was when I was doing security I went from the bus station uh, from the white rose to the bus station and then I was an area manager because I was always trying to do more I was, you know I was always trying to be active so while I'm just trying to stop being bored they're seeing it as he's really trying hard at his job yeah. same with the hotel I was a manager within six months with no experience because once I'd learned reception I wanted to learn housekeeping and then I wanted to learn the restaurant so it was just sort of like that need to, you know, want to do more. Want to do more yeah. But then showing off with my friends, playing football, jumped off a motorbike. Um, and the idea was to just sort of pop off the back of the bike and like, ta-da, that, that, that was a plan. And if that plan would have worked, that would have been like the best entrance you could imagine. Um, but the bike was going faster than I thought. I twisted my knee and like, when I'm watching rugby now, Sometimes you'll see him going for a tackle and it'll show you the knee and it's not like a break, it just like goes, whoop. Yeah. 
oh, I get I get that feeling, I can hear the noise. <laughs> yeah, and it just takes me straight back there. And that sort of ruined everything. So that, that I've had it rebuilt four times because I didn't listen when they said don't play football again and you know, two years two years after that. So when when that happened, that's when I started going out in Leeds and drinking and getting into fights and then two years after that that incident, that's when drugs started. And it's because I had this focus, which was everything. And then when that was taken away, it yeah. was sort of like, well, what do I do now? So basically what I'm saying is don't jump off a motorbike. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not sure why you'd that. <laughs> so you've obviously got more common sense than me. But do you understand what I'm saying? It's like a worry that everything in your life revolves around sport. And what if ever there was um, something that happened where sport wasn't an option anymore? I, I mean, I think... Obviously, a couple of years ago, I, I broke my leg playing football, and that were probably one of the hardest things for me personally that I've, I've gone through because from being someone who literally plays sport like every day and goes out and stuff to literally being bed bound for like six months or whatever it was, it were awful, and I found it hard because I didn't know if I'd be able to get back to how I used to be and how long I'd go to the doctors and stuff and be like, hey, it's another couple more weeks and I was just sick of it and I just wanted to be able to go out and obviously you see your mates doing stuff. It, the worst thing was it was the last game of the season and then it was like summer and stuff and it was lovely. And oh, no way. All my mates <laughs> are going out and, doing, and I'm just stuck in garden at the most. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose I had everything sport-wise take away from me then, but... I, I do see where you're coming from in the future, I suppose. Yeah, it's just being aware of it. I mean, obviously, with with Dan. So, yeah. you know, what happened to him, he had um, the founder brain tumour. Um, he's had, I think it's four now removed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, through, he was playing basketball and football and then in his sports days and PE lessons, he was told he wasn't allowed to contribute. He just had to sort of sit and watch and stuff, so... And that was obviously no fault of his no, own. Yeah, it was yeah. just sort of like a... How, did that have an effect on sort of your focus? Because obviously all the attention, rightly so, would have been focused on Dan and sort of his recovery and stuff. Yeah, it, it was hard sometimes, like obviously um, going to school sometimes or even something like doing homework and stuff, you know, when like obviously like your brother, brother's in hospital and... Yeah. He, he needs a lot more care and attention at home and he, need, he needs help walking up and down stairs and stuff so your mind's constantly elsewhere and you're checking up on him as well just to make sure he's okay and stuff so it, it's hard and I, I would say it di diverts your attention a little bit and yeah. you forget about a lot of the things that you should probably also be focusing on see thing, things like that that happen usually it sends somebody one of two ways they either act out in a negative way for attention because it's been given somewhere else or they sort of dig in and get involved and try and keep as much of a normal life as they can as well as sort of be involved in and it sounds like you made a good decision there yeah i just tried to keep my head down and still get on with it really just yeah. do like then being able to go uh, play football on the weekend and stuff just help forget about everything that's going on at home and then I could go play my game and yeah. 
just chill out a little bit. So how did you feel when you couldn't play sport? Like we we talk a lot about sort of mental health um, and sort of stress and all these different things that go on. And there's a few people that want to come and talk to me about how exercise is the best medicine yeah. for um, for mental health. So did you feel like you were, you were affected in that way where you sort of... Uh, I feel like probably a little bit because like I said obviously you go from being able to do whatever you want and playing sport every weekend and yeah. stuff to literally being stuck in your room in a cast and not being able to do anything you want to do and it does have an effect obviously when you're used to it and that's what you enjoy and it literally you can't do anything about it yeah. makes you appreciate things yeah. more doesn't it it's like now there's we used to do a lot of inline skating when we were little, um, like skate park and, you know, jumping down stairs and yeah. sliding down rails and stuff like that. Um, and someone added me to a Facebook group and it's all people my age that used to do it that I've started doing it again. And I'm just like, ah, oh, I've got a pair of skates at home. And I keep thinking like, maybe I could just do it. Maybe like, maybe my knee will be fine. And like, I hurt my back when I was in prison quite badly. Um, and it's, it's okay on a daily basis. Like I've got used to that weird pain that's always there. But yeah. then sometimes, like 